This morning's reading is Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, and reading verses 1 to 14. It's the story of Jesus at a Pharisee's house. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a whale on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they might invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Thank you, Rodney. We continue this uh, summer series. Oh, it's not often I have to do this. Uh, we continue this summer series in the Gospel uh, of Luke. Um, as we walk through this uh, Gospel, we hear lots of different stories. And often, as I've said before, sometimes whenever you follow through books of the Bible, you, you end up with passages sometimes that um, you wouldn't be passages you would draw to naturally to preach from uh, or to teach from, uh, but they come up in the systematic reading of God's Word. And so that is a good thing. Um, this one follows on from last week in the sense that, uh, remember last week we are talking about Jesus was confronted by the rulers of the synagogues about healing on the Sabbath. Um, this is only a few days later, and here uh, Jesus is now talking to them. Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? That's how this begins. Uh, whenever this man with dropsy is presented uh, in front of him. Jesus is restating uh, about the feeding of the animals and so forth, uh, how much more important to God people are uh, than other things uh, and possessions uh, around us. Uh, and so as we dip into this one today, as we hear about uh, finding our place, if you like, uh, let's just pray and seek God's Spirit over uh, His Word today. Father God, we thank you that you're present with us. 
And as you're present with us, we know that your spirit will inspire and direct us. May it be your word and not my words that speaks depth into our souls today. Uh, Come, Holy Spirit, uh, amongst us, we pray. Amen. Amen. As many of you uh, are aware, quite a long time, it seems like a long time ago now, a long time ago, uh, I used to be a children's and youth worker um, uh, for Logo Parish. Uh, wonderful, uh, lots more energy in those days, uh, but it was a wonderful uh, period. It was a great uh, opportunity um, to do lots of stuff uh, with our children and young people. And we uh, operated um, a drop-in centre uh, in the middle of that village, in the middle of that town. Um, and obviously, uh, part, part of that drop-in centre, the reason for it, uh, was that there was lots of underage drinking um, happening in a park, a local park, and the idea was that it'd be kind of diversionary and we would attract uh, young people to a different place and a different uh, atmosphere uh, and then begin to work alongside them uh, in, in where they were in life and how they could uh, move out of that place that could be destructive uh, for their future if they continue to be there. Um, now it had attracted quite a number of young people and so uh, some of the houses who were actually around it weren't all that happy that all of a sudden um, a place that used to be tranquil and quiet was now filled uh, with lots of noisy uh, young people uh, on a regular basis. Um, to the point uh, where there was always a number of interesting conversations every single week between me and some of the local residents. Um, now, one of the local residents got to the point where um, it became a little bit more than a calm conversation, shall we say, uh, on the front door of this place uh, one evening. Um, and on the front door, it became... Uh, so um, fractious that I invited him to come round the side so there was no young people beside him and all of that sort of stuff. And it was, I didn't realize it was at that point, but it was so disconcerting for the other leaders that they actually followed me around the back because they thought something else was going to happen to me round the back. Uh, but it came to the point uh, where that gentleman um, said to me that he knew people. And he was going to have a conversation with some people tonight and that tomorrow night, the place wouldn't be there. Um, and he says, what do you think of that? Now, I don't know what grew in me at that point, but I looked at him and I said, well, I know people too. But I don't think they're the same people that you're talking about. But the person that I work for is probably a lot bigger than the people that you're talking about. And he says, where does your person live? And I said, well, he lives in me. And it got really confusing at that point for him because he was kind of, he had no idea what to answer or how to go there. He said, what are you talking about? And I says, well, ultimately, we believe that the Lord God has us in this place for this moment. And so actually, no matter who you bring to this door, kind of have to go against him. Are you serious? I says, yeah, I am. And he said, well, then we'll see about that. And he went down the path and away he went. Nothing ever happened. That was the end of it. It fizzled out and it disappeared. But the other leaders kept saying to me, how did you say that to him? I would have been scared standing in your seat. I said, I have no idea how I said that or what that was all about or why there was that threat leveled against us whenever we were trying to do something that was quite productive in the time. Well, actually, in one sense, this passage of Scripture today fits in with that a little bit because I wonder, have you ever encountered someone who has got above their station? Have you ever encountered someone who believes that they are more important than they actually are? I think just about everybody's kind of nodding their heads at this point. We've all encountered people who believe that they are better 
more important than everyone else around them. I wonder how that made you feel. Maybe angry or frustrated, annoyed maybe. It probably didn't make you feel happy, fulfilled or contented in any shape or form. We've all had those relationships that have become fractious and difficult. Those relationships where sometimes we have to speak out of love and say, actually, you're not the most important person in this moment. And that's exactly what Jesus was teaching us and telling us in this space. See, in verse 7 of our reading, he says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to the wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. We all like to feel that we're important. If, if we're honest with ourselves, there's a point in us where we do like to think that there is something about us that is attractive to at least one or two other people. It's whenever those emotions, those feelings grow and grow and grow, that, that becomes the dominant emotion or feeling within us that becomes the dominant factor of our personality that pushes us forward, that rises us above our station, that then makes everyone else feel uncomfortable. In those moments, we can kind of set ourselves up for a fall. Actually, verse 9 of our scripture says, Jesus says, If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the seat of least importance rather than the one that you have taken. Because pride can be a hurtful emotion. It can be a hurtful emotion for those of us who carry it, preacher included, and it can be a hurtful emotion for people around us as it affects our relationship with them. But there are different types of pride, isn't there? There's the pride that puffs us up and makes us feel really important and the most important person in this situation and this element and this whatever it is. And so we rise above our station. But there's also that element of pride where we take pride in our garden. Our garden looks lovely. We take pride in our appearance. We take pride in our children. We take pride in those things that are important to us. And so there are different aspects or different types of pride, but it's the pride that puffs us up, if you like, that Jesus is warning against in this passage. That's the kind of pride that the devil wants us to succumb to, the kind of pride that he wants us to grow within us, the one that inflates our own self-importance. Jesus knew that, and he warned against it, first ten. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So whenever your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence, in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is not a characteristic or a personality trait that is encouraged in our culture and in our society today. We're not encouraged to be humble from the world around us. We're encouraged that it is all about me, about what I can get, it's about how good I can look, it's about how many followers I have and the influence that I can have across all of my social media platforms and so forth. But yet the scriptures teach us that if we want to grow in grace, if we want to grow in a relationship with Jesus, then humility is the key 
We humble ourselves and we know our place. We find our place in and through him. And in finding our place in and through him in humility, we rise in our greatest strengths. And knowing our place is key to a life of contentment. Ecclesiastes is all about that life of contentment. Well, there's a worker gain from his toil. There's a time and a season uh, for everything. The Proverbs uh, are filled with it. Blessed is those who are content with their lot uh, in life. That's not that we're not to strive to better ourselves. That's not that we're not to strive to have a better life, not to strive to be in a better place and grow to be a better person. But it's the sense that we are content with who we are. We're comfortable in our own skin. Um, I bared you the, the look today, but uh, recently I had a pair of shorts on with a lovely pink T-shirt. And I met someone who I knew, um, and, the street, and their first response to me was, it takes a brave man to wear pink. I said, no, it takes someone who's content in his own skin to wear whatever color he's content with. And I think that's part of what I'm trying to say today. Whenever we know our place, whenever we find our place, we are content with who we are. That's not to say we're not striving forward, we're not pushing forward, we're not looking to better ourselves, but we're content with who we are. We take less notice of the opinions and the accolades of others and more of ourselves and our trusted friends and the Lord. And in those moments, we find our place and we rise in our greatest strength. And we're quite content, as Jesus says, to walk into a gathering and to sit down in the most humble of places rather than saying, look at me, I'm going to take the best. It's not about doing things for what we can get out of it or what you or I can get out of it. Because Jesus says in verse 12, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What we do is not for the benefit of ourselves. What we do is thinking about the other. It's looking out for the other. It's seeking that whatever it is that we do will have a kingdom value and a kingdom vision in this place so that God is glorified and God is honored. That in our humility, we find our sweet spot and we know who we are. So true in church life and evangelism and mission and all of that. We don't do things for what we can gain. So what it is that we do to reach our community is not about bums on seats or how many people can fill an auditorium. That's not what it's about. It's about showing and sharing the love and the grace and the hope that we carry as a body of believers to those who live around us. It's recognizing our place in God's story. As I've said before, our little jigsaw piece. Knowing that only I, only you, have that little piece of the jigsaw that whenever you fit it into the jigsaw, there's a sense of, I can see the whole picture. I said before, it's such a privilege and a blessing to be in church leadership and to see all those little different pieces of a jigsaw begin to fit together through everybody's lives. 
You only carry your little piece, and so you don't see all those other pieces beginning to slot together. But whenever they do, it's a thing of beauty. You see God at work in this place, and that is wonderful. Our little piece in a jigsaw. I often um, sometimes wonder why um, I went to university. I wanted to be... um, I wanted to be a member, uh, I wanted to be a policeman whenever I was small. Growing up, anybody said, what do you want to do? I want to be a policeman. And at that stage, there was a height restriction. <laughs> that didn't work out. Um, and I look now at some uh, police officers and I think, seriously? How did that happen? Um, I actually wanted to be a dog handler with the police, but anyway, we're not going to do all that. Whenever that didn't kind of work, I wanted to be a carpenter. I wanted not, not a joiner that fits roofs. I wanted to be a carpenter that kind of makes furniture, that kind of uh, intricacy stuff. Um, but I went to Ballymena Academy, and as I sat there with my careers teacher, um, I was told at the Ballymena Academy uh, these words whenever I was asked, what do you want to do? And I said, a carpenter. And she looked at me straight in the eyes and says, no one's ever left here to go to a trade, and you won't be the first boy. So which university are we going to go to? I said, well, university. Anyway, there was a recession of building trade. My dad didn't want me to go into it. Um, teachers at school were saying it, so I went to university and I studied computers because that's what was the in thing to do back then um, and still is, obviously. Um, but I often wonder why I was there. Um, never really totally enjoyed all of that. Academia and studying is not necessarily me, but um, I often wonder why I was there. But it's only as you look back with hindsight that you can see sometimes why you're there. The university was the place that actually sparked faith in my life, um, proper faith, if you like, for my life. I'd given my life to Jesus at 13, but I'd kind of trundled along and done nothing with it. But at university, it was the place where the jigsaw piece fitted in for me, and I could see God in a new light, in a new way. Um, and so my faith came alive for me. Um, university was also a place where I made new friends. I, I made and met different people. One of them was a girl um, called Gillian. Um, Gillian came from a town called Dungannon. Imagine that. Um, but Gillian, unbe- and some of you may have heard this, but Gillian, unbeknown to me, um, was thought somebody in her hometown who she ran about with would be a nice match for me. Um, and she didn't tell either of us that she was doing it, so it wasn't a blind date. It, wasn't, it was just her wee idea in her head that Shirley and I would be really good together. And so she tried to get us together in lots of different places at lots of different times, but it never quite worked out until the 15th of August, 1998, in the house outside Ballygolly Roundabout, ingrained in my memory uh, forever. Uh, for all the good things, obviously. Um, and that moment whenever um, I arrived, uh, a little bit later than what Shirley had, I was a lovely summer's evening, and I was standing out the back chatting to some people, and Gillian took me to the kitchen window. She looked in the kitchen window, and these were her words, not mine. She said, what do you think of that sitting at the table? And I went, what are you talking about? And she says, man, you're so slow. Took me in through the kitchen, lifted Shirley by the hand, walked both of us into the dining room, said, Shirley, James Boyd, meet Shirley Boyd. She was Boyd before we married. James Boyd, meet Shirley Boyd. Whenever the two of get married, I want to be at your wedding. She turned around, she walked out, and she closed the door. Me and Shirley standing in a room, looking at each other, going, hi. 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 Shirley chased me for several months after that. Um, she always have to put that in. Um, but you know what? Gillian didn't see the piece in her jigsaw. 
Gillian had nothing to gain from that introduction, yet so much has been gained from it. You see what I mean by that? She had nothing to gain from that introduction, but so much has been gained from it. Because we don't do what we do for the benefit of ourselves, but we do it for the benefit of God's kingdom and for his glory. Knowing your place, being content with your place, brings a freedom that no amount of striving can ever achieve. Being and knowing, being, knowing your place and being content with it is key to bringing freedom that no amount of striving will ever, ever accomplish. My prayer today is that God's word gives us a new sense of our place or peace in a jigsaw that in our humility we might recognize God's awesome purpose in our lives and together as a body of believers in this place. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are present. Thank you that your word is speaking, that your love is active amongst us. For each of our jigsaw pieces, Lord, may they fit together to show a big, beautiful picture of your kingdom. Lord, in this moment, whisper softly, shout loudly, show us our place, that in humility we might rise in the strength that you give us. In your name, amen. We hear uh, some words from, of, some of God's words from Ephesians chapter 3 speaking through to us. And the God who is able to do us immeasurably more than all we ask, seek, or even dare to imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout this generation uh, and always. May the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon each one of us this day and forevermore.